Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Brooks, here with my co-host, Corbin Ford. We are back together to talk about this series-clinching win by our Dallas Mavericks. They got it done. Thankfully, we didn't have to go to a game seven because who knows what happens in those games. But the Mavs take this series 98-96, a hard-fought victory, looked very fatigued out there, but they were able to gut it out. Corbin, what are your what are you what what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about this game and, and how it kind of unfolded? Hey, that, okay. Sorry, my phone was acting weird on that one. Y'all welcome. First off, <laughs> Lord, thanks <laughs> for having me on. Um, yeah, we just talked about before we came on air, and then my phone decided to just freeze on me, but we're here. Um, listen, the first thing that came to my mind was wow. Like it, it was not looking like a Dallas kind of game, you know. Um, the only thing that was really, I think, going against Utah, they came with the effort and the intensity of a team that doesn't want to be eliminated, but they didn't come with their shot making. You know what I mean? Um, and in the fourth quarter, as things really started to kind of grind to a halt and the Dallas Mavericks ISO offense wasn't working, I had the feeling that all it took was one big shot or one big run by by Utah to really send this to a game seven. And like you said, who knows what happens during those. But fortunately, Dallas had, you know, some good defensive stands. Utah had some unfortunate errors. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich missed a, uh, a three that would have sent them uh, back to Dallas for a game seven. Absolutely. And and before I continue, let me just let everyone know, listeners, please take a moment to follow Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow those guys now. They do an incredible job. They work around the clock. Can't say enough about them. All-time all-stars over there. Um, that being said, so talking about these Mavericks, man. So here's my thing. What I saw in this game, obviously, you know, you get into games five, six, seven, there's going to be a fatigue factor. No doubt about it. And they started out this game relatively slow. I mean, they were struggling to make shots. They still only found themselves down six in the first quarter, which to me spelt a good thing because if a team can struggle and still stay within arm's reach, that's usually a good omen for a team to still have an opportunity to win the game. And so looking at the way they played and then coming into the second quarter where they kind of picked it up a little bit, not completely, but, um, but due to a little bit of foul trouble and just inconsistent play and guys just missing open shots, they were still down. They were down 12 at halftime. And then we get into the third quarter where they went small ball. And so, you know, at a point in time like this, you have a situation where you're trying to close out a series. You got to pull out every card imaginable. And I don't know how many of my listeners are Uno players, but instead of a draw four, I would like to say that the that the Mavericks pulled a draw five, <laughs> meaning, meaning they had five. They went small ball with five guys they felt like that could be on the floor. And those five was Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, Jalen Brunson, Luca, and Spencer Dinwiddie. And here's the key about playing a lineup like that. The Mavericks have tried this in the past, but the problem is they've only had one guy that could really shoulder the load in a small ball lineup, and that was Dorian Finney-Smith. So when you put him on a big, now, you're have, now you have a hole on the wing to defend the perimeter or vice versa. But now... Not only did they have an extra guy like Reggie Bullock who can defend, but then you just you just have three big guards, which you can afford to do when you're Jalen Brunson 6'1", but you got 
obviously Luca, who's six seven. You got Spencer, who's six five, and then you got the two um, two big three and D wings with Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock, two very capable guys to to pair alongside the three point guards. And so that lineup really opened up the game for them in the third quarter. For you, um, so I mean, it was obvious that it, it became effective. When you saw this lineup and you saw the open shots they were getting, did you think this was something they could sustain? Um, were you a su- surprised by it at all? What were your thoughts looking at how this lineup uh, played in the second half of this game? I'm not going to lie. I was surprised, Lawrence. I didn't see that configuration. Of course, we had a healthy Luka Doncic uh, up to this point in the series, you know, excluding last game for the longest. So it's not like we could really, you know, see how this group looked together in a postseason setting. This is really our first look. But you're right. The way that all five were able to work in unison to generate offense, whether that was dribble drive, the fact that three of your five players can put the ball on the floor and create for others, the fact the other two can at least put the ball on the floor in general. Like, you know, um, it, it really made for some dynamic shot making, some dy- dynamic shot creating ability, and a unique synergy among all five where you had some defensive intensity, um, across the board, I think this is Luca's best defensive game. And Lord, I can't remember. Um, but you also had other guys who could switch um, and, and create havoc on the offensive end while still standing sound on the defensive side. So my initial thoughts were, "Wow, okay, this is a different look." And then you can see the almost immediate results from then. I mean, Dallas went on a mini, a mini run immediately once they kind of came in, um, and it was something that you could see Jason Kidd, ever the tactician, ever the guy to kind of switch in and out of lineups and and, and making. Um, plays on the call uh this was an interesting lineup to break out at that precise moment of the game yeah and and so looking back on that i mean just to put it in perspective on the shot making that they that they had the jazz had the lowest defensive contested rate on opponent shots in the playoffs so far and so when you pair that with the fact that they got constant open looks it was something that I felt like could work, but I was also surprised because, again, um, looking at this game and looking at the way they were down at halftime, I didn't even realize this, but shout out to my guys over at Mavs Moneyball, but the Utah Jazz had 34 points in the paint at halftime. So when you consider they had 34 points in the paint at halftime and Dallas wasn't shooting well from three, then you go with a small ball lineup. That really takes some guts to say, hey, we're going to bank on shot making and having guys that can do uh, having guys that can defend because obviously Rudy Gobert is not going to hurt you on the offensive end. So it, it it's kind of a calculated risk, I would say, to try to go with a lineup that can maybe spread the floor because, you know, the the one big guy that could punish you isn't going to because they're not going to throw the ball inside and he's not just he's not an assertive offensive player. So I really like the way they they took a calculated risk and it paid off. It was it was one of those things where a great use of KYP, know your personnel, but also knowing the Jazz's personnel as well. Because you mentioned it, you make that knowing. Okay, listen, if it's a punishing offensive big, for example, they might not do that in the next round against DeAndre. But you know, against Utah, you know, okay, are they really going to dump the ball to Gobert? No, they don't do it on a good day, right? Is Gobert best equipped to make them pay? Absolutely not. He's not a very good offensive center. So you do that by knowing the personnel you're defending. And then knowing your own and how you can maximize that on your own end and and, and then look for those uh, mismatches and try to gain the advantage. So you made an excellent point, Lawrence. Like that was huge for them to make, like you said, was a calculated risk, but had a lot more of 
uh, a background uh, approach or a lot more intel on that than maybe we saw kind of on the outside looking in. And now we'll see kind of in the future how they address with that because, okay, I don't know. I think every other team currently there, with the exception of the Grizzlies, and, and maybe I would say the Warriors, but the Warriors barely play with the traditional five anyway. Like, their fives can punish you, whether it's passing or shooting. So this was the one matchup where, hey, Dallas get away with it. They went to the right time, and they did just that. Yeah, and so, I mean, just kind of to put it in perspective, you also, I mean, you can defend that way, but you also have to make shots. And through the first three quarters, yep. Dallas was 3 of 13 from the three-point line. And it's a make-or-miss league, as everyone has heard. And, you know, if you live by the three, you die by the three, which the Mavericks have kind of been doing in this series. Um, and rightfully so, considering how many open looks they're getting, they're going to bank on the fact that they have pros that can knock down shots. And that was the case. And so the third quarter... They ended up winning it 36 to 19, and it was largely due to the fact that they made eight threes in the quarter. And so everyone kind of contributed across the board, and that's kind of what propelled them to put them in position to get this win, although the fourth quarter became kind of a back-and-forth back and uh, seesaw battle because no one could con get consecutive baskets. It seemed like every time the Mavericks had an answer, the Utah Jazz also had an answer. Every time the Jazz had an answer, the Mavs have an answer. So, and vice versa, it's kind of like it, it went typical of a game that was a closeout game that guys are not trying to go home and guys want to win. But when you consider how many minutes Reggie Bullock played at 44, um, Dorian Finney-Smith, 45 minutes, Luca, 42 minutes, which, again, as a side note, I'm, I'm so shocked at such a heavy workload, which lets me know either, either they were like, Screw it. We're going for, you know, we're going for the for the knockout punch, um, although he's been playing in the upper 30s in his previous games or he was he was closer to being healthy than we all realize. And, and all those games they were winning, buying him time was just giving him more and more time to be at his optimal health level that he could be. But um, but with that being mm -hmm. said, I think that to have those guys play such heavy minutes and still be able to pull it out. And not to mention Jalen Brunson played 38 minutes. So they had guys playing really heavy minutes um, that don't necessarily um, play a lot of heavy minutes outside of this series. So to see them pull it out, see them continue to make shots and timely stops was something that I think um, we have to give them credit for. Absolutely. This wasn't really, I think, like you said, um, the MO for the Mavericks, whether they were trying to preserve Luca to be at maximum effectiveness for games like this, or, you know, whether or not he actually was like, really just needed that time. And, and Dallas came through in the clutch, you know, with him like significantly hampered. Uh, either way, it worked out wonderfully for them. But you said this series, in the way that it happened, not only could be a microcosm of the Mavericks season, you know, in, in their ability to uh, persevere through adversity, you know, having players rotating in and out, having their star, you know, carry the load, but having other guys that are, a are able or capable to assume that role at moments, at stretches of the season, you know, having Jason Kidd pushing all the right buttons, pulling all the right strings to make this team come together. Um, that's basically what we've seen from the Mavericks this year. That's basically what we've seen from them this series consistent, solid defense. I took the Jazz out of their game plan for much of the series, you know? Offense that came in clutch. We've seen that as well. So the fact that we saw that here, you're right. Like, I think this was a, a lesson for Dallas in terms of, hey, we've done this during the regular season. We've now done this on the big stage. 
there's something here that we can bottle and keep moving forward. This is experience. This is a, a, a wedge in our belt. This is something that we can carry with us when we face some more adversity in later rounds. Like we're looking at saying, okay, listen, let's look back what we did in our first run against Utah. Let's look back what we did post-trade uh, Christos Przingis, you know, with these new characters that came in, you know, with the integration of Spencer Dinwiddie and others. So uh, I agree with you. I think that this showed just the versatility of Dallas this season and how this isn't a fluke, what they've been taught under Jason Kidd, what they have collectively in this eternal intestinal fortitude is something that's lasting. Uh, and that's encouraging to see as a Mavericks fan. Yeah. And, and I mean, we, w- we would be, you know, we would be remiss to not mention and highlight, you know, most of what these guys have done. I mean, even for a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who hasn't, had the greatest of series, but he's shown up in ideal moments and most notably this game. I mean, he was already, um, you know, being kind of scrutinized to a degree because he's, he's had such a fantastic run since he's come over to the Mavericks. But in this series, he struggled to find, find his way a little bit, but man, he was such a catalyst in last night's game. I mean, going seven of 12 um, from the field, four of seven, four of seven from the three point line. He was a, he was a, uh, plus 12 in this game and had 19 points two assists made his only free throw that he took I mean he was really pivotal in this game and then you know obviously with Jalen Brunson I mean we could go on and on about the incredible season he's had the growth he's taken um, I'm sure some of this is knowing he has a payday coming down the line so nothing motivates anyone more than money but um but nonetheless, you have to respect the way he's shown up. And I was I was trying to go back or I was thinking about the um, just what he's done in previous years versus what he's done in the playoffs this year. And weirdly enough, I don't know if my phone just knew what I was thinking, because I think these phones do know what we're thinking half the time. But my guy, yeah. <laughs> my guy, Nick yeah. over at uh, Locked on Mavs had sent out a tweet showing the comparison of Jalen Brunson's stats. So shout out to Nick for this incredible information. But just to put it in perspective, his averages from 2021 versus 2022 playoffs. Last year versus the Clippers, Jalen Brunson's averages were eight points, 1.4 assists. He was 45% from the field, 46% from three, 76% from the line. And he was only playing about 16 minutes a game, and that's in seven games. Fast forward that to this year against the Jazz, averaging 27.8 points, 4.2 assists, 48% from the field, 36% from three, 84% from the free throw line, and playing 38 minutes a game. I mean, wow. To He's already a guy that I knew could play, but I think we have to one, give him credit because none of this happens without his own personal development, but man, the job Jason Kidd has done to just maximize this roster and put guys in very successful position. You can't really overlook that when you look into a series like this. You definitely can't Lawrence. And I think that you mentioned it. Part of this, I think that um, Brunson's always been professional, you know, stepped up his game in big moments before, but, and maybe this is not a knock on Rick Carlisle as much as it is just a fresh voice in Jason Kidd, um, a different type of person to listen to. But he is getting the absolute most out of role players who in the past had their moments, but their ceiling was not as high as this, you know? Like, Jalen Brunson's coming big and been a good 
ancillary piece for the Mavericks. You know, a nice secondary guy to Luka Doncic. Never career-high 40-plus points, averaging 35 over a three-game span. None of that. You know what I mean? Max Kleber knocking eight or nine threes down? Get out of here. There was, like, there was some performances in this series and really this season that I think can only be tapped into by the, the likes of a Jason Kidd on this new roster because we hadn't seen it before. If we had, it'd be one thing, you know, we'd seen glimpses of this types of um, standout, raise their level of play performances, but nothing on this level, you know, and in a way that doesn't seem like lightning in a bottle. And yes, you know, is it um, like contract year? We've seen this dance way too long for me to rule that out. Like, yeah, I'm sure, you know, contract, you want to play better, but even the way that he's talking behind the scenes, Hey, it's all about the team. Hey, you know, I'm just doing what I have to do. And then he's backing it up because in crunch time, multiple times over the last two games, how many times could Jalen Brunson have just attacked the, attacked the, 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 the paint? How many times can he wait? Listen, I've been on a tear this series. I'm going to school on Gobert. I've already done it games one through three. You know what I mean? He went right back to being the guy he's been all season and deferring to Luka and playing off of him. He could have easily went and done something different. And I think that shows you how much that he's in it and the rest of these Mavs are in it for the culture of the team and for the group over just the the the, the singular in terms of objective. Yeah, I've, I've spoke on this in earlier podcasts and just in talking about just looking from a distance. I'm a guy that's big on body language and how guys just their adversity response. And I'm immediately looking at guys and in, in a group overall when things aren't going well. How are guys reacting? Are guys still conversing? Are guys still engaged? Are guys what's guys? How are their shoulders? Are their shoulders still high or do they droop? Are, is their chin still high or does it droop? Like you can see the confidence level and the togetherness in guys. And that's something that I think, one, to, to your point, just how Jalen Brunton has been team first, but also knowing that part of being team first was some of his personal development to be a bigger asset to the team. But two, Spencer Dinwiddie spoke on it as well, just talked about how guys genuinely like each other. And I don't know if that was the case for Utah. And some, and you can't overlook that as well. It's just the, the, the pure cohesiveness and togetherness of a team when things are seemingly not all going your way how are guys responding to that? And then on, and then the cherry on top is he only had four turnovers the entire six-game series. The wow. Only other, the only other time that a guy has averaged 27-plus points per game and committed five or fewer turnovers, previous best was Larry Bird in the 86 East semifinal. Shout-out to Tim McMahon with that incredible nugget to show the rare class that Jalen Brunson is in. Um, so, yeah, so a credit to these guys for the series they had credit to Jason Kidd for being able to close it out with something that was a little unconventional, but yet and still was necessary. And again, it just taking calculated risk. That's what this game is all about. But before we break down how they could potentially look in the next series, let me let my listeners know we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos, Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with the Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code Ethos when you sign up to get 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points want to share the nightly prize money. And check out at our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. So, Corbin, before we close this out, we'll talk about 
the upcoming series against Phoenix. My overall thoughts, one, I'm concerned with the amount of minutes that these guys have to play against some much more capable wing scores and just an overall better offense overall. They will be demand the demand on the defensive end, I think will be a little more than what it was against Utah. Not to say that they didn't put in an incredible amount of effort to execute a game plan, but I just think they have more offensive firepower, which means you're going to extend more energy trying to stop these guys. But with Luca seemingly being fully healthy, I think that is the biggest, you know, um, ace in the hole that you can have because I think he is overall the best player in the series. And sometimes that's what you need. What's your thoughts on this series um, as you just kind of give it a, a first glance? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's going to be a different challenge for Dallas um, in a way that Phoenix is not Utah. Like, their their collective psyche is a lot stronger. You know, they went through a little bit of adversity themselves, uh, knocking down a very, very tough Pelicans team in six games, uh, a couple of those without their leading scorer, Devin Booker. But you still have Chris Paul. You have DeAndre Ayton, who's been a beast this series. And the way the Pelicans' defense was designed, like, they were trying to take Chris Paul off the game. Devin Booker was already injured, so he was out. But that empowered players like like um, Aiton, like Mikel Bridges, and even to a lesser extent, uh, Jay Crowder um, in a campaign to raise their level of play on the offensive end. So you're going at it from Dallas, where you realize defensively there are quite a few more weapons in Utah. You know, it's not just Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson and Bogdanovich and then looking out for like a Royce O'Neal and a Gobert. No, you legitimately have to watch Devin Booker. You know, Chris Paul will put 14 on 14 on your head. Easy, you know, no problem. Mikel Bridges had a, a play, almost a playoff career high of 31 this past series. So a lot more weapons on the offensive end. And on the defensive end, Phoenix is one of the best. So uh, how are you going to diversify your offense? Again, uh, Jason Kidd empowered both Spencer Dinwiddie as well, of course, Jalen Brunson to do more um, without Luka on ball. We might need to go to that some more. I think Luka will still get his, um, but I think it's going to come significantly harder. Think of it almost like, uh, Nikola Jokic on the Warriors this past series. Like, Nikola Jokic got his numbers, but it wasn't a walk in the park. Phoenix has switchable defenders with good length that are physical, like Bridges, like Jay Crowder, uh, even off the bench, Cam Johnson, that can get in there and make things difficult. So who's going to step up in the wake of that? I'm very curious to see uh, how Dallas attacks Phoenix and how they uh, correspond to the attacks from the Suns themselves. Yeah, and, and, I, and I mean, with Jason Kidd and, and Monty Williams both clearly being great basketball minds, the, the yep. chess game is going to be great to watch because I would assume that Mikael Bridges is going to guard Luka, and I'm interested to see how much that affects him on the offensive end because they actually rely on him a lot on offense, but um, but he hasn't had to guard a guy like Luka, and I'm sure that is going to take some effort and energy on on his part to um to do and i know he's not probably not going to be the only one i'm sure they'll throw jay crowder at him and um cam johnson and a few other long wings but it'll be interesting to see how they handle him and how well dallas can play um around luca knowing that he's going to draw the biggest defensive assignment and then when you um talk about them you know continuing can jalen brunson keep this up because it'll I'm, I'm interested to see the matchup or who they assign to him do they put Jay Crowder on him? Do they put a bigger guy on him? Do they let Devin Booker guard him? Um, I'm interested to see where they go there because he's clearly turned into the number two. And for them to win this series, they're going to need him to be nothing short of spectacular in the same way he was against Utah. So there can't be a big drop off. I don't know if he has to average 27, 
but he surely needs to be probably in the 20 point range. I would say, considering he's their other dynamic, big, uh, big guard playmaker. And then Spencer Dinwiddie, I think he has to show up in this series and be another guy who's, who's a, um, who's a threat on the offensive end, because you just can't be, you can't have any shortages offensively. But with that being said, Dallas is, they hit a little bit of a lull on the defensive end to end the season, but they, they ramped it right back up against Utah and they really shut them down in a way that I don't know if anyone saw coming, although a lot of it was strategic in the fact that they just took away the three-point line and made Utah have to play inside. So I'm interested to see if the defense can remain um, consistent at a high level and if we can get more, if we can continue to get consistent gameplay out of Jalen Brunson while also getting elevated offensive gameplay out of Spencer Dinwiddie. Those are tremendous keys there. I agree. I think the guard play is going to be a determining factor in a major way. Uh, but I like your other points as well, uh, especially Spencer Dinwiddie. Like you said, rough series for a bit. Race level play in game six. We need more of game six of Spencer than we need of uh, game three. <laughs> Absolutely. So it should be fun. First game is Monday night. Everyone will be watching. We're incredibly excited. They finally got out of the first round. Um and we're able to see it. This is Luca's first time getting out of the first round. So I'm sure he's excited. Um, yeah, man, it was great. I'm glad we're able to be on here on the winning side of things and this not being a series closing, season closing pod. So <laughs> the march goes on, as they say. <laughs> um, continue to catch, yep. please um, download and subscribe to Ethos Mavericks podcast. Um, please continue to leave, leave a five-star review. Let us know how you feel about it. You can catch us on Twitter at Ethos Mavericks. Also, my personal Twitter at LB Said It. That's L-B-S-A-I-D-I-T. And, man, it's been great, Corbin. Where can everyone find you as well? As always, bro, you know I appreciate you. Y'all can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, that and everything I'll be doing, including uh, another member of the Sports Ethos Podcast uh, Network, uh, Round Ball Ramble. You can find there one more time on Twitter at CorbinNBA. But, yeah, bro, always pumped to be doing this with you. Absolutely, man. So, yeah, the Dallas Mavericks will be at Phoenix 7 p.m. Monday night. We're all excited. Can't wait to watch and then come back and break it down all over again and talk about our thoughts and feelings on that. And hopefully it's another win. I know you're a little bit torn because I know you got to cover Phoenix, too, and you're down here in the Arizona area. <laughs> so, uh, so it'll be interesting to get your thoughts because I know you'll have some passionate uh, thoughts behind everything happening. <laughs> Yes, sir. Oh, I'm excited, man. You're right. Looking at it from both angles, man. I mean, if that will make me the most uh, torn slash subjective, I don't know what will. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, thanks again. Thank you, all you listeners. Um, we shall be back. But until then, be safe. Go Mavs.